perhaps one of the most intriguing phenomena is what is known as the Mandela effect. That's where our collective memory remembers one thing, but when we look at it in this current day reality, the evidence says it's nothing like what we thought we knew. So to take us further into this, we're going to be talking with Cynthia Sue Larson, who I've interviewed a couple of times before, author of Quantum Jump and Reality Shifts, and that's one of her favorite topics as well. So without any further ado, Cynthia, it's good to see you again. It's great to see you, Regina. Glad to be here. (laughs) It hasn't been that long because we were in the Gaia Studios uh, just just a few weeks ago, actually only about two weeks ago, and we were doing an interview on the notion of reality shifts and quantum jumping, parallel realities, time shifts, and all of it regarding money, which is going to be a really fun interview when it comes out on Gaia in a few months' time. So first of all, What caught your attention to begin with about this notion of reality shifting into what we now, uh, what is now called the Mandela effect? And also tell us why it's called the Mandela effect. Okay, well, I personally got involved in this area um, in 1994 when I started experiencing some pretty sizable, what I called reality shifts at the time. I was trying to figure out, is this something anyone else is noticing Um, Specifically, I was noticing things appearing and disappearing, just changes in the official version of history based on what I was seeing, including people being alive again. So that was my initiation into the topic. It took me five years to realize this is really a thing. It's not just me losing my marbles. (laughs) I'm I'm not forgetful. There's more to it than that. But it did take time because of the social pressure. But fortunately for all of us, the term Mandela effect has come into public usage thanks to blogger Fiona Broom, who went to a conference. And at the conference, she was talking to people, and they collectively agreed that they were very surprised that Nelson Mandela happened to be alive back in 2010. Um, They remembered he had passed away while still incarcerated. He'd been imprisoned. He was in jail, and they remembered he died there. I also remember that, too. So this is is really where the the phenomenon goes from just being something that was kind of small scale, something that I had been tracking through my Reality Shifters website since 1999, and now it's becoming much bigger. Some 11 years later, it's, you know, now that was eight years ago, 2010 is eight years ago. So we are at the dawn of this whole phenomenon really starting to catch hold of people's imagination. It's hit a tipping point, and that's exciting. It is exciting. And give us an idea, when, you, when this first caught your attention and you started your research, what are some of the areas this research took you into? Well, tell us about that journey. Okay. Well, like I said, I, I, I realized it took me a few years to integrate my own experiences and recognize it's not just me. So I started a monthly newsletter on my website, realityshifters.com. Before blogging, you have to remember, this was early in the days of the internet. So uh, my journey then uh, involved reaching out to people, collecting firsthand reports. I knew that was important. And I decided that by sharing these firsthand reports, it would make it easier for others who are definitely experiencing this to talk about it and not be so embarrassed and shy and reticent to step forward and acknowledge what's happening. So that was the beginning. I do have a background in physics. So, 
that's, that's sort of the backstory here, that it was starting to make sense to me on a deep level of understanding and appreciating quantum phenomena, that, that what I was actually looking at looked like something you might expect to see, um, not perhaps all the time, but every now and then with quantum phenomena appearing not just on the so-called quantum scale, um, because it's not just what happens in the quantum scale stays in the quantum scale. It's much bigger. It does actually happen at all levels of reality. So that's that's my going theory <laughs> without going getting too specific. It's interesting because it seems as though depending on one's background in terms of the lens you're looking through, everybody has a different idea on the Mandela effect. So psychologists call it confabulation, for example. So this is one area that I think um, certainly very logical people are going to first go to the story of confabulation. So explain to us what this means and how, what they're saying the mind is doing when approached when it is approached with this kind of disconnect. And we'll go into very a lot of good examples in just a little bit. Great. Yes, confabulation is the idea that when people sometimes are they see something. It, it, it has to do with the subconscious being so involved in our perceptions that we often don't notice what we're subconsciously observing. And then also the fact that our memories themselves, every time we access a memory, we're changing it as we access it. So this is what psychologists and neurologists and cognitive scientists understand. that, uh, And this is their lens of perception. They are looking at it that way. They're saying, okay, what you guys are doing, perfectly understandable here. You're looking at things and you think they're changing, but that's just the way the mind works. It can be easily fooled. Magicians use these tricks all the time. They can put something up to make you think about something that you don't know you're thinking about. And it can happen randomly and just out in the regular world without anybody trying to have that effect, but it's happening that way. So that's in a nutshell, some of the ideas. There, there are a couple of others having to do with flashbulb memories, but Let's not get into all of that. <laughs> right. And and part of it is that they're saying you're taking two different things oftentimes and you're conflating them, right? And so yeah. you come up with a separate reality entirely when once this happens, even though that wasn't the that weren't wasn't the original two inputs, they're creating a new input. So it feels real. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the psychological arguments for it. Yes. And so as we go through a list of some of these, we can look at it and say, how is it that almost all of us remember something from the past, a specific thing, a product, um, a strap line for, you know, a product on TV or lines in movies exactly the same way. And then when we're, we look at what's really going on, we say, that's, no, that's not what I remember at all. I have a couple that really kind of get me that I want to talk about in just a sec. But right. first of all, let's talk about your the understanding you have come to as a physicist who is entangled with quantum physics. <laughs> right. Thank you. Yes. Well, that's the key for me is looking through the, that lens, as you mentioned, of recognizing all of reality is actually, uh, you can view it from a quantum point of view. And when we do that, then we immediately notice that consciousness is fundamental. There's no way you can actually get behind and get on a larger framework than consciousness itself. That's the big gift or the big um, <laughs> challenge of quantum physics, actually, because the challenge is that within science, that's frustrating. Scientists want to know 
how to predict things. They want to be able to measure things. We, as yet, have no way to measure the presence or absence or anything about consciousness, really. So that, that's been challenging. Having said that, it's a perfect vehicle for understanding the phenomenon of the Mandela effect because within quantum physics, we do expect that we'll have, um, for example, a quantum particle, which is, would be like a photon or an electron. And these fundamental quantum particles, they have attributes and qualities such as a spin up, but they might also have a spin down. What's weird about these quantum particles is they can be simultaneously in a state of superposition where they're both spin up and spin down. And then additionally, they can be, you use the word entangled, they can be entangled with one another, which means you can have um, kind of like this, this amazing instant effect where you measure one quantum particle, you notice this one is spin up. And that tells you instantly information about its entangled partner over here. So one, for example, one's up, one's down. You instantly know information about both of them. And this is very different territory than classical physics. So the takeaway for me with quantum uh, physics and the Mandela effect is that we would expect occasionally to witness some of the things we see that are very strange in the world of quantum physics. Those, these things include teleportation. Yeah, it's like where you can easily instantly be one place and boom, you're another. It includes things like that <laughs> superposition of states. So those are, those are a couple, yeah. So this also includes the ability to have something in two states at one time or two places at one time. That is also reality, right? Yes, this would be something you'd expect to occasionally witness. Um, so you could see something in two states, a building might be there and not there. Now to us, that's, and that's the kind of thing I've actually witnessed. So it may seem like, whoa, that can't be right. But uh, I'm just letting people know that these things can be possible and keep your mind open. And with the Mandela effect, a lot of people, like you said, are noticing dialogue in movies are, are changing. And that's that's kind of fun to look at that. It is. It's a really fun topic. It's very intriguing. It's like a little mind puzzle. It makes you scratch your head and say, why didn't I hear it that way to begin with? Because you go back and look at it, and there it is, right? right. But you just teased everybody saying, because you witnessed these things. So you, you have to follow up with a couple of things you witnessed that would seem uh, highly improbable, if not impossible, in the material world. Okay. Well, one of the big ones for me is a sundial sculpture that I was telling some friends about it and about this idea. It was not called Mandela Effect because it was the 1990s, but I was on a walk with them going to brunch like we always went to brunch at the Berkeley Marina at a restaurant there. And we'd go for a walk after brunch. And one day we were walking through the, the usual area that we always walked through, but we couldn't walk straight through it anymore this beautiful, it used to be this large open space, just like, um, it's just this wonderful place to walk through, but you can't walk through there when suddenly there's this enormous sundial sculpture that's about 20 feet high, it's made of concrete, it's got a plaque which we all examined, stating that it had been a gift from a sister city in Japan decades earlier, apparently it had always been there. And I had just been telling my friends about this, you know, reality shifts idea, and had been asking if they'd ever seen any, and then suddenly we can all agree we're seeing one. <laughs> this is definitely something new. <laughs> so the implications of this 
are, being very literal with us and explaining, you've been on this walk many times, it's a wide open space. Your friends and you are on this walk today, it's not a wide open space, right? So tell us in your world, reality shifts, what's happening there? Okay, so in, in the in the one of the many possible models of what's happening, uh, my models come from quantum physics itself. So I look at the interpretations of quantum physics, what's happening. And there are many different interpretations. And we don't yet have one that's for sure the right one. Um, so I look to the holographic model, which is one by David Bohm, which I think is quite good, which means everything's connected. It's, it's one way of saying that um, when something moves, everything else moves also. That's one idea. I also love the ideas implicit in the multiverse interpretation. This is Hugh Everett III's idea. The, what I like about it, and it's these are all different interpretations, but this one appeals to me because it, it makes it very explicit that it's almost like we walk into a parallel universe, and it can feel like that when this happens. So it's a way to use that interpretation to give us a sense of, wow, that is what it feels like. It's like you're in a whole new world. Um, personally, I actually really like Henry Stapp's view, which is just the classical Copenhagen interpretation with a little bit more refinements um, that he puts in there. So that's personally very appealing to me. But but I like the multiverse idea because people, they, they can get a feeling for it. Like there are all these parallel possible realities you get to a branching point and you can understand, okay, I've moved from one reality into another. And in a sense, that's how we live our lives. We make a choice and we move into a different reality. So it feels more intuitive. A lot of times when people hear the word multiverse, their mind goes to the notion of different dimensions. Is it happening maybe in a different density? Can you explain the difference or the correlation between multiverse and multidimensionality? Okay, uh, well, I'm not sure I can, but I'll try. <laughs> we can go out to the edge. Yeah, <laughs> so multidimensionality, um, dimensions are a way to, again, understand the nature of reality. And so physicists, when they're trying to bring together quantum physics and uh, astronomical physics, you know, the classical side, and bring it all together, then string theory comes in. You can look at all the different dimensions that are involved and so forth. What those dimensions might feel to us um, like would be states of awareness. So we might be able to feel um, a, a sense of imagining that you're a photon, like Albert Einstein did when he was working on his theory of relativity. Um, and we can expand that awareness to feel like, okay, I know, I know what one, that's one dimension. And maybe two dimensions would be a photon and then just going through time and so forth. And then as you expand your feeling of these states of dimensionality, it's possible to recognize that a 3D human with 4D time connection is just the beginning. And you can start getting to a place where you feel like you're one with all that is, and you feel like you can have a causal influence. And at that point, this is where your inner spiritual practice really matters, that you are hopefully aligned with a win-win solution and so forth. 
excellent point you make, one that we should all be paying attention to, including myself right now. Okay, so about, I don't know, maybe a dozen years ago or so, there was a movie called Slider. It was either Slider or Sliders. Uh, we can look it up. Uh, anybody can go on IMDb or probably even to YouTube and look up this film. You can probably find it on Amazon. And it had to do with this nation, this notion of slipping between simultaneous alternate realities. And so we were talking about this just a little bit at Gaia the other day um, on your other book, which is called High Energy Money. And you think, what's a, what's a physicist doing writing about money, right? But you also had a background. You had your MBA in finance and you have magical spooky action at a distance type of things happen with money. So let's just lay a little of that foundation and then we'll get on to the examples of the Mandela effect. And it had to do one of them with you and your daughters. You were at a restaurant. You didn't have enough money for a tip. And go ahead and tell people the rest of that story. And that'll be the only thing we really talk about. Uh, the rest of it they'll see in the Gaia interview in a few months over okay. the Gaia site. Okay? okay. Great. So it's a little um, opening for that segment. Excellent. Yes. So we're at a restaurant and we had had a wonderful meal and I wanted to leave a tip for the waitress. My daughters were pretty young at that point and that's good when you're working with young children because they're open-minded. And what I, what I proposed is I looked in my wallet and I said, it would be nice to leave a tip for our waitress. She was really nice. And, you know, people like cash. I'd prefer to leave a cash tip. But look, I don't have any money right now. Should I? I think what I'll do is close my wallet and should we look again? And my daughter said, yes. And so they, they've now, I should back up a little bit. They've been growing up with me and witnessing some of these reality shifts on a regular basis. Like they're missing their shoes. Don't worry, they might show up and boom, they come back right where you looked. So <laughs> my daughters are used to this. So I opened my wallet. And sure enough, there's a $1 bill. And we all are delighted. I pull it out of my wallet, put it on the table. And I say, should I close my wallet and look again? And my daughters say, yes. So I close it. And I do the same thing, like six times in a row, pull out $6 bills. And that, that, that was so much fun. It gives me goosebumps just remembering it. Well, I'm sure they think their mother's quite a fairy, you know? <laughs> phasing in and out yourself on a lot of levels. I think that's absolutely magical. And you're right, just fun. And most people listening think, that's not possible. But in fact, it is. You did it, right? And being in a state of, uh, of laughter and joy, I, I find that really helpful. And I think part of our problem, or if, you know, not that we have a problem, but in our society, how often do we get into that state of joy and just, you know, playfulness having fun, genuine joy and delight, and, and wanting to do well for others. These are really good qualities to help these things happen. Indeed. I mean, it wasn't as though in this money story, it wasn't like you were struggling with how to pay the rent. You were just having fun with your daughters in the restaurant. Yes. The, the fun made such a difference in that situation and several others that I've had. So I, I've just been able to witness time and time again that being in that state of mind really is conducive to experiencing some great, fun, wonderful reality shifts. Okay, so let's get into it. We'll get into the um, heart of the story, which is some of the more well-known um, <clears throat> effects that they tie in with what people now call the Mandela effect. And so one of these incongruities has to do with, we'll talk about movies first. One of the famous ones is Snow White. And I know someone went to a very, very lengthy description as to why the original translation in German was this, it translated that and that. 
But the reality is we all remember mirror, mirror on the wall, right? That's what I'm we sure. remember. Yes, I do. What's the truth of it? It's now it's always been magic mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? <laughs> magic mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest one of all? Uh, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> well, no, not, I, I would guess that not one person that has seen the movie would have heard that, heard right. magic mirror on the wall. I'm guessing nobody heard that. We all remember mirror, mirror on the wall, right? So mm-hmm. in reality, you can go back and watch the movie and it does, it does now say, and maybe it did all along, we don't know, magic mirror on the wall. Now this, uh, this segues into the film Forrest Gump. And you can go on YouTube, there are clips of Forrest Gump's um, sitting on the, the bus uh, bench with an elderly woman talking about uh, life, right? And you can find the clip anywhere, so just go ahead and look for it. But I'll let you go ahead and pick it up from there. Well, I remember originally that he would say life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But that's not now what it's ever been, apparently. Now it's something different. It's life. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So now it sounds like um, his mama was talking about her past specifically, like her life was that way. <laughs> Right. And that's not how anybody remembers it. Again, because we even we all use it in, in common parlance now. Well, life is like a box of chocolate, you know. Um, and so anyway, it's past tense. If you listen to the film, which doesn't actually make sense for that scene, but it is past tense. Life was like a box of chocolate. Right. Another one is a, a film and a series of books by Anne Rice, um, you know, a couple decades ago. Um, interview with a vampire, right? right? This is one that people, we could swear, I could swear I remember seeing that title on the cover of the book and pick it up from there. So this is one, again, uh, there's a difference between interview with the vampire, like like who is this one singular vampire, or interview with a vampire. Uh, right. There's this real difference in the feeling of those two when you look at it. One of them sounds a little bit bizarre, but that now is the normal one, you know, interview with the vampire, the only one, not just a vampire, but the vampire. (laughs) Where did this come from? (laughs) That's true. I mean, my friends and I, I would say, probably without exception, we'll all remember that it was interview with a vampire. And um, what I'm going to do later on, my sister's supremely logical and has a very good visual memory. I'm going to run these by her and see also what she remembered in it. And there's one coming up that I talked to my husband Zeus about, and he says he remembered it the way it actually was, but I did not. And I don't know anyone else besides him. He's good. He has a good photographic kind of visual memory as well. And so a couple of these people did remember, but for the most part, um, I would guess that people listening to this did not remember it the way that it actually is now. And another one is the television series Sex and the City. And it was even abbreviated S-I-T-C, S-I-T-C in like girly magazine articles, S-I-T-C, Sex and the City. But it's not Sex and the City. No, it's sex and the city. 
which is, is a totally different, um, if you take those letters, then it's S-A, you know, T-C. Right. It's a whole different thing. <laughs> it is. And that's, that's, doesn't even have the same, the show wouldn't even have the same feeling. It doesn't even, actually doesn't even make sex. Sex and the city doesn't feel right. It doesn't make sense to the storylines themselves, but that's what it's called. If you look it up, if you go online, if you go to YouTube, uh, if you go buy DVDs, it'll be sex and the city is what you do see. So again, these are little mind puzzlers and we think, could I have been looking at it wrong all the time? Is it that sex in the city just kind of gets abbreviated to sex and sex in instead of sex and the city? And you do, you have to wonder about those puzzling little things about what the mind will do to make something easier or more congruent. Uh, The one that Zeus remembered was um, Jiffy peanut butter. Remember Jiffy peanut butter, right? Right. But it's not Jiffy peanut butter. I've been calling it that since Jiffy peanut butter came out, but it's not Jiffy peanut butter. No, no, it's always been Jif, (laughs) just J-I-F, which doesn't look right to people that remember Jiffy. No. You know, it it looks wrong when you just look at Jif. It's like, why is is it that? You know, the, the colors are the same. The font looks so far pretty much the same, but it's missing a couple of letters. Well, that's what it feels like. Another one of those common childhood ones was Fruit Loops. I mean, my brain remembers fruit as F-R-U-I-T. However, that's not what's on the box. And so I'm, I'm thinking about this, how Tom, Tom Campbell calls our reality a kind of a collectively rendered reality, meaning we remember pieces and collectively we put it together re- to remember it the same way. And essentially, if it's not a time warp or or a parallel reality or a multiverse situation, then we have to look at how do our minds all collectively remember something absolutely wrong. And that is the common perception. Whether you talk to someone about it or don't talk to someone about it, we tend to remember these things in the same way. Now, I'm sure there'll be some people watching this and say, oh, no, I saw all of them exactly the way they were. And it'd be interesting to know how their minds work compared to how someone else's mind works. I mean, I do find that fascinating. Um, Another one was, um, oh, this one, this is one that perplexed me. The word dilemma. Okay. Now, my entire life, I have spelled the word dilemma, D-I-L-E-M-N-A. I thought that's how dilemma was spelled. And I didn't have any spell check that corrected me on that until relatively recently, because it's a word that comes up that you write. And recently, it didn't accept it. It underlined it as though it was wrong. And then it changed it to D-I-L-E-M-M-A. Now, I don't know about your experience with it, but that one kind of took me back because I've been engaged with that word my whole life. What about you? Yeah, for me, that one hasn't changed. um, But that spelling is something I'm a little bit, um, I'll use a term from quantum physics. I I tend to use the quantum Zeno effect. Um, (laughs) People will understand OCD, right? It's yeah. where you learn something and you're OCD on it. So I have a very, I have a tendency toward with spelling being a little OCD. So personally, I don't notice the spelling ones because I've, I think what I've done is I've quantum Zeno affected, locked them in. This is the watched pot never boils and you apply it. It's totally true in physics and you can lock a quantum system into a quantum state by just observe, 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 observe rapid, frequent, constant observation, and it can't move. So anybody that locks that word in a dilemma like I did, they won't notice the changing. So 
Interesting. So I may be in the minority, one of the few that thinks it was spelled D-I-L-E-M-N-A all along. I just so know there are there are a lot of people just like you that believe that. So it's it's okay. not just you. It's okay. a lot. Okay. You're not alone. <laughs> Uh, another fun one was as a kid, uh, when we played Monopoly, we all remember the Monopoly man having a monocle. And of course, you know, it shows the reality. He didn't have a monocle. He just yeah. had two, two bare eyes. Um, and we're seeing pics of all this stuff as we go along here. Now, another one that people brought up, and we did find the answer to this one. So it's not a mystery. Actually, Zeus did some research into it. And that had to do with the line... Um, uh, we are the champions by Queen. We are the champions of the world. And people went back and said, of the world isn't there. That was never there. Well, it turns out, as Zeus did a little research into it, it is there, but it's only in there in a later edition of Queen's Greatest Hits. They added it in later. But if you go back to the original soundtracks, it's not there. So okay. that's one that was simply changed in this, in this reality. And that's a good fact. I mean, thank you for pointing this out, because when you're looking for um, reality residue is what some of these Mandela effect consciousness hunters are calling it. You know, they're looking for these evidence of alternate histories based on what people remember. But you're right. Sometimes there's another explanation. Like, okay, well, maybe that one didn't really change. Yeah, exactly. Another one that's very commonly perceived in, and this has come up again recently because there's a documentary out about the life of Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which is, if you haven't seen it, an absolutely beautiful film, I really believe. Um, Watching this film, he was was an angel that came to really help... mm, soothe and make more peaceful a generation of kids that were the beginning of those being raised by single parents in particular. Just a beautiful man. But we all remember the little song, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, right? Exactly. And we'd sing along with it. And now if you sing along with it, you'll notice there's a word that's changed and it sounds wrong. (laughs) And you can even try to sing along and it's like, this can't be right. Which, and now it's, it's, I'll try to do it without with a straight face. It's it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? It doesn't seem right. And, and funny, I went to YouTube to listen to it, to watch it. Just, you know, I'm, I was checking into all of these. And it's like, yep, that's what it is. A beautiful day in this neighborhood. But the people that, I think this was in response to his death. This was a little tribute. Someone put this clip up and people were responding, oh, I'm so sad. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm in high school now, but he meant so much to me. But a number of people said, I thought he said, I thought it was a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And their their comment, this is unrelated to Mandela effect. They're commenting on this. Yes. They'd heard this wrong, right? Because in their head, they're singing along, or maybe they did sing along at some point. When you sing something along and you're you're singing the words, then you learn the words. And nobody was learning. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. That's true. You know, I wonder... It, it might be funny, I don't know that this is all relevant, to go back to Eddie Murphy's treatment and see which words he used when he was making fun of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on Saturday Night Live. That might be kind of a fun thing to look into, which I have not done. And then one you brought up, um, we just talked about this very briefly when we were in the Gaia Studios, was uh, the Berenstein Bears. Yes. And a lot of people, there's a lot on this. You can go online and they'll say, 
Is this an, a part of the Mandela effect? And so let's talk about Berenstein Bears. Okay, so a lot of us remember, like you just said it, Berenstein Bears, and that implies that there's some sort of a steen spelling um, between the T and the N at the end of the word. However, now it's always been Berenstein Bears, T-A-I-N, and to me that's very odd because when I was reading books, I would be aware, like, is it Steen or Stein? It was never a matter of it's always stain. There was no confusion. Like now with stain, there's no other way to pronounce the word, whereas with Berenstein, there was. But now, no problem. It's just Berenstein. But the problem is, why do we always, all, so many of us remember something different? Yeah, that's true, because when we think back on it, uh, never Berenstein never came up as a possible pronunciation. But is it possible that our collectively uh, remembered reality just shifted it in our mind because we're not used to seeing Berenstein? It just that's not a word or a name we've seen before where we have seen Berenstein before. Is and then you you wonder, is it possible we could have all just kind of flipped it for convenience in our mind of what we were used to saying? But what's interesting that isn't what you were doing. You had already done a comparative pronunciation between Steen and Stein, looking right. at the letters of the word, right? Right. And so when you're thinking, like, how do I pronounce this? When I'm reading the book to my children, asking, do you want to hear the Berenstein Bears? And then you're wondering to yourself, or should I say Berenstein Bears? <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess it's Berenstein, but it should be Stein. So it's that kind of thing. And now it's a moot point because it's a third thing entirely, Berenstain, which it really, it wasn't for me before. <laughs> so. so for you, Cynthia, of all of the possibilities and all of the things you've witnessed in terms of this, what is being called the Mandela effect, whatever is responsible for it in our mass perceptions, what do you find perhaps the most interesting or profound of all of these shifts, even if it's just on a personal level, like you said, with this massive sculpture being where there was an open space? Right. Well, to me, it's indicative that there's something bigger going on, that um, when we think that matter is all that matters, and we tend to get fixated on what we think of as facts and so forth, and we'll even argue with people and with um, different memories than we have about our childhood or about something that just happened, might have been minutes ago. And I think that this is an invitation to us to recognize that there is something bigger going on that consciousness really is fundamental, it really is primary, and that's at cause, um, that we actually are at cause of most of what's happening in the world. And much of it can be subconsciously driven. So I see these Mandela effects, these reality shifts as a global invitation to waking up. It's basically this reminder for all of us in humanity I love what you said about the collective consciousness and that we create this reality. I think that's true. But now we're noticing we're creating little splinter realities too. And um, what do we want to do? You know, how do we want to create this going forward? And it's really an invitation to us to, to become aware that we are consciousness and we're creators on a very powerful level. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely agree with that 100%. And I think what you just brought up a moment ago is important as well, that we fight so hard to have our perceptions known and heard, because we absolutely swear this is how it was. This is how we saw it. This is how we experienced or heard it. 
when we can see right now, many, many people watching this will be saying, no, it really, really was Berenstein Bears. I remember that. I mean, and we'll fight for that with each other, but then go take a look. And the proof is it's not that it either it never was, or it's certainly not that now. When you have reality shifting like that, such as the title of your book, Reality Shifts, which I recommend people get a copy of and read so you can kind of engage with this in a fun way, then I think it should, if we were smart, it would take some of our defensiveness out and also our aggressiveness in trying to preserve our own point of view or our own position in this ever-shifting reality. I agree. I think that is really the fundamental point here is to get into a state of kindness, compassion, and um, open-mindedness, which is very different from a material materialistic focus on so-called facts. And what, what I'm seeing from this quantum consciousness awakening in the world is that facts can change. But uh, some of these core qualities, they remained um, eternal and infinite and powerful, and those would be just all of the all the qualities we know and care about the most about love and kindness and respect. These are very basic things that we can lose sight of when we focus too much on the material. So it's time to find our center again. Couldn't agree more. And you have such a beautiful, um, that just being around you, you have such a common, beautiful disposition and uh, open-minded, really beautiful way of looking at everything and everybody. And uh, your girls are very lucky they had you, your kids very lucky that they had you as a mom. But also I think you're a really shining example to people because you take all of this in the spirit of fun, adventure, and exploration, not to be tied to any given story. I really love that about you. Oh, thank you. I sure love working with you, too, and I love your worldview that's always challenging us to expand and explore. (laughs) Okay, on that note, then, I guess we'll say goodbye for this time, and for everybody, uh, keep an eye out on GaiaTV.com, because you're going, Gaia.com, you're going to see this interview coming up in a few months' time. So, until then, again, you can um, check out Cynthia's uh, book, Cynthia Sue Larson, at Amazon. We have Quantum Jones, Reality Shifts, High Energy Money, and um, also uh, get hold of her through Cynthia. That's my website is the best way, realityshifters.com. Okay, until next time, thank you very much for joining us here on reginameredith.com.